Hi, thanks for joining us on Him We Proclaim with our Bible teacher, Dr. John Fonville. We are continuing the series called The Glorious Second Coming of Jesus Christ. John has entitled the next several messages, The Peace of the Church. Is Jesus interested in there being peace in his church? Absolutely. And what disrupts that peace is tolerating sin, false teachers, and their false doctrine. It's upsetting to believers and disruptive to the gospel going forth. One could say it's an age-old problem. The teaching today will give us a good foundation about this important topic to believers. Here's John with the Peace of the Church, Part 4. Paul begins by addressing those in the Thessalonian church who are behaving and believing in an orderly fashion. Look at verse 6 and look what he says. He begins with this very authoritative tone. He says, but we command you. That's a very, very authoritative tone. We command you, look what he says, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he adds this phrase, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is highlighting the divine origin and authority of his command. Paul is saying that his command to the church is backed up by the authority of Jesus himself. What he's saying is, is that to disobey this command is to disobey the Lord. He says, we command you. This is how one scholar puts it. He says, Paul is in a very determined mood. I would say so. We command you, right? He says his language has a military feel to it as though he were a drill sergeant on the parade ground. He issues commands and he requires obedience and he refers to a certain element in the church at Thessalonica that is disorderly. They're insubordinate. This word refers to soldiers who are out of step, to soldiers who are being insubordinate, to soldiers who were rebellious, and they were not open to discipline. And so what Paul does is he goes on to spell out the specifics of his command. Look what he says in verse 6. With the authority of Christ, he says, he commands those who are behaving orderly, look, to withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. This command to withdraw, to keep away, what it has is the idea of be very careful to not be influenced by disorderly beliefs and behavior. That's what Paul's concerned about. Paul is concerned that faithful believers in the church, orderly believers in the church, are not going to be negatively influenced by a rotten apple. That's what he's saying. He's saying be very careful not to be influenced by disorderly brothers who are walking in insubordination to the church. He says, because this disorderly behavior and beliefs of some set forth a negative influence and it disrupts the peace of the church. So to preserve the peace of the church, to protect orderly, faithful believers from being negatively influenced by some who are being disorderly, Paul says, I command you, keep away from them. Keep away from the brother who is walking in a disorderly fashion, who is not walking according to the tradition which you received from us. So the, as we looked at last week, this translation in some uh, uh, 
some scriptures like the NIV or the ESV, they, they, they translate idol or idleness, but that's really, that's not the, the intent here. Paul is not really correcting the problem of laziness. He's correcting the problem of disorderliness. This, this word, keep away from brothers who walk in an unruly life, who, who are disorderly in the church, disrupting the peace of the church. This word comes from the military, um, and it comes from military speech that refers to people who are insubordinate and have disorderly conduct. And so Paul says it's not that some of the believers were just being idle. He says these believers were out of order because he had given them previous, quote, marching orders, this tradition which they were refusing to follow. So this, what, are the, what is the tradition, verse 6? These marching orders, the tradition is simply the teaching that he had previously given to them when he wrote his first letter, which I read to you in 1 Thessalonians 5. But they're refusing still to follow Paul's teaching. They're, they're, they are not doing what they ought to do, which is legitimate work, stop spreading false doctrine, stop being influenced by a negative teacher, and all these things. And instead, they are doing what they ought not to do. So the presenting issue was idleness on the surface, but underlying this unwillingness to engage in legitimate work to benefit their neighbors, underlying this was their, their being influenced by false teachers and this negative effect that this false teaching was having on the church, that was disrupting the peace of the church. So this false teaching concerning the second coming of Christ, which is the hope of the gospel. These false teachers were distorting the very hope that we have given to us in the gospel. Now, let me just give you a couple of examples. This, this problem of distorting the hope of the gospel uh, was a problem in many of the churches that Paul planted in the first century. Uh, he ran into this problem in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says that there are some false teachers in Corinth that were denying that there was to be a final physical resurrection. That we're teaching the Corinthian believers that spiritual resurrection from the dead is the only resurrection that there would be. And because of this false teaching about the hope of the gospel, some of the Corinthian believers believe that, well, I guess there's no final coming of Christ. And so he had to write 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the largest chapter in the Bible given to the doctrine of resurrection, to dispel these false notions about the hope of the gospel and to help bring order and peace back into the disorder of the Corinthian church. We see this problem in Ephesus. Paul planted churches in Ephesus, and in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 17 through 18, Paul identifies two false teachers that were distorting the hope of the gospel. He writes to Timothy in verse 17, and he says, Timothy, their talk, their false teaching in the church, he said it will spread like gangrene. And he says, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. These are men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place. And because of this, they upset the faith of some. Paul also read into this problem of this overrealized eschatology in Asia Minor. Or excuse me, Peter. 
In Second Peter chapter three, verses three to thirteen, Peter addresses a similar problem about the denial of the second coming of Christ that is negatively affecting the churches in Asia Minor. And then we come to here in the churches in Thessalonica, and yet once again, Paul is encountering this these false teachers who are giving false teaching about the second coming of Christ. And so in chapter two, verse two, he says, because of this. Uh, some of the believers have become shaken and alarmed in their faith, these negative effects. They were fearful. But here in chapter three, he says that because of this false teaching, some had not only become shaken and alarmed, but some had actually become disorderly. They had become insubordinate. They had begun to follow the influence, the negative influence of these false teachers. And look at verse 11. He says in verse 11, he says, for we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. It's a play on words, as I showed you last week, that, that highlights this disorderly living. Paul says that they're not busy doing legitimate work, but they're busy bodies. They were, these believers were very busy in the church, but the work they were doing was not legitimate. They were busybodies. They were meddling in the affairs of others in the church. And what they were doing is, is that because of false teachers who were teaching these believers about Christ's second coming, that had already happened and they missed it. Some of the Thessalonians said, well, then why work? Let's just give up our day jobs and we'll go around with these false teachers and busily spread this false teaching that we've received about Christ's second coming. And so while busily engaged in spreading this false teaching, they were asking the members of the church, support us. Support our false teaching. Um, in some languages, uh, one speaks of a busybody as, quote, one who puts his spoon in someone else's cup. What these Thessalonian believers were doing was they were putting literally their spoons in other people's cups, asking to be supported for their new teaching ministry in the church. And so what they were doing is they were now interfering with the business that properly belonged to the officers of the church, both Paul and the leadership in Thessalonica, both in teaching and administering finances. And so they began to disrupt the peace of the church through all of this mess. And Paul says, I command you, stay away from these brothers so that you are not negatively influenced by them. And then look at verses 7 through 10. He gives two reasons for why these uh, orderly believers are to be careful not to be influenced by those who are disorderly. Look at verses 7 through 9. The first reason, he says, that Faithful believers are to avoid being negatively influenced by the beliefs and behavior of disorderly believers is because they have an apostolic example. Look at verses 7 through 9. He says, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. He says, Nor did we, we refers to Silas and Timothy as two his co workers. He says, Look, we didn't eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this. Not that we don't have the right to be paid for preaching the gospel to you, because we do. 
He says, but we gave up this right to be paid for teaching you sound doctrine. He says, in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. And so the first reason why orderly believers are to keep away from those who are disorderly is because of the apostolic example that was set before them. Paul and his co-workers, Silas and Timothy, modeled the tradition, the teaching that they taught them. Back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, uh, Paul had already reminded them of this the first time he wrote. Listen to what he says. He says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God and your witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. And so Paul offers himself yet once again to these believers And the reason is clear. He doesn't want the bad example of a disorderly believer in the church to have a negative effect on those who are being faithful. What would be the negative effect? It would lead them from the purity of the gospel. It would lead them from the hope of the gospel. It would distort the gospel. That's a negative effect. What would it do? It would disrupt the peace of the church. What would it do? It would create more busybodies in the church. You've probably heard the proverb, one bad apple spoils the barrel, right? That proverb is often used to describe a person who is a bad influence, and because of their negative beliefs, negative behavior, it affects the whole group of people, and it can introduce and influence similar negative attitudes and beliefs on the group of people. That's what Paul's concerned about here. That's why he is setting forth his example, Silas and Timothy's example, saying we set forth a positive model for you to follow, to be influenced by how we conducted ourselves. And so this, if left unchecked, such is the chaos of false teaching in the church. But Paul says the opposite, that the imitation of godly examples makes for peace in the church. The second reason Paul says here that orderly believers are to keep away from those who are disorderly is because of apostolic teaching. Not only the apostolic example, verses 7 through 9, but look at verse 10. You have apostolic teaching. Listen to what Paul says in verse 10. He says, For even when we were with you, We used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Some of the Thessalonian believers were out of order because they refused to live according to the teaching, the tradition that they had received from Paul. And Paul reminds them of the tradition here, the teaching that he first gave them. He says, if anyone is not willing to work, then he's not to eat either. Paul's command has a ring of a proverb. Most scholars generally think that this probably comes from Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. This is what it says. It says, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. So what is Paul saying to the church here? The point is this, is that God's created order, even after the fall, requires that all people engage in legitimate work 
to feed and support themselves so as to not burden other people. But when you apply this proverb to the problem of the disorderly people in the Thessalonian church, this is what Paul is saying when he says, if anyone is not willing to work, then he's not to eat either. This is what he was saying to this problem. Quit supporting those who refuse to engage in legitimate work. Simply put, stop funding false teachers and false gospels in the church. Don't support busybodies who meddle in the affairs of others, who spread false teaching and ask to be supported for it. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? He says this disorderly teaching and behavior disrupts the peace of the church. So what have we looked at? It's very simple. Paul's wisdom is very simple. What is the best way to preserve peace in Christ's church? Paul says... Avoid the negative influence of insubordinate people who refuse to follow the tradition given to them by the apostles. In other words, don't follow and be influenced by people who don't teach a true gospel. And second, if you don't want them to have any influence, don't support them. Cut off their supply line. If they're not willing to engage in legitimate work, they're not supposed to eat. They're not supposed to be able to make it. So how do you stop false teaching in the church, and how do you preserve the church's peace? You fund legitimate gospel preachers who model that behavior. You do not fund illegitimate gospel preachers who don't model that behavior. That's Paul's point. And so as we reflect on Paul's first command here on how to preserve peace in the church, there, there are two important lessons for us to consider. Here's the first. Examples influence how we live and think. Examples influence how we live and think. Because this is true, we're to be very careful, Paul says, who we associate with because their example, their life, It will influence how we live and think. Again, back in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, because he's dealing with the exact same problem in Corinth, verse 33 of uh, chapter 15, he reminds the Corinthians, in light of the false teachers corrupting the gospel, he says, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. Don't associate with them. Don't be influenced by them. He's saying disorderly beliefs breeds disorderly behavior. And if left unchecked in the church, disorderly beliefs and disorderly behavior will breed more disorderly beliefs and more disorderly behavior, and it will destroy the peace of the church. So he's warning the Corinthians, as he does the Thessalonians, guard yourselves against the corruptive influence of false teachers, both their doctrine and their behavior. This is what Calvin says about it. He says, nothing is more pestilential than corrupt doctrine. He says, and profane disputations which draw us off even the smallest degree from a right and simple faith. You know, the gospel is quite simple. Jesus is going to come back. He hasn't come back yet, but the hope that we have is he's going to come back and consummate everything and make it all right. 
That's quite simple, isn't it? That's a wonderful hope. But if somebody comes in and says, oh, you missed it, that gets quite complicated because you start thinking, well, wait a minute. You know, this and this and that. But no, no, he already came back. You, you see that. And they say, we've got this new insight, so we're going to start funding that. And all of a sudden, you have all this discord sown in the church, and the whole piece of the church is corrupted and lost. And so Paul says, be very careful, because remember that examples influence both how we think and how we live. Second, this is the second lesson that we get, examples hinder or advance the gospel. Examples either hinder or advance the gospel. Ultimately, in this last chapter, Paul's concern is not simply moral lessons that are negative or that are positive. You know, be a good example, don't be a bad example, a little moral lesson here for us, and call it a day. That's not Paul's ultimate concern. His ultimate concern is the gospel. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. He says, we worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone. Who was being a burden to everyone? The busybodies, Right? Paul says we did the exact opposite. We worked night and day not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, he refers to the positive effect of his lifestyle that he had on the Thessalonian church. He says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. What a statement. You, you followed our example. And he says, because of that, you receive the word, the gospel. So in light of these statements that Paul is making in both his letters about this model that he and Silas and Timothy set forth for the church, we can see what he is trying to do here. It's all about the gospel. Let me give you an example here. Paul's tent making was not only model behavior for the Thessalonians to imitate. He wasn't wanting everybody in the Thessalonian church to become tent makers, right? His tent making was for an evangelistic purpose. It was a tool to clear away impediments to the acceptance of the gospel that he preaches. In fact, listen to how one scholar says it. One scholar says that Paul's tent making strategy may have been a viable strategy for making converts because there were Olympic style games and various people were looking for temporary accommodations such as tents. And what Paul wants the Thessalonians to be is good witnesses by living an orderly life, by working in legitimate areas of work so that there are no unnecessary obstacles to the gospel. That's his point. As I mentioned to you last week, uh, too often Christians undervalue the work that they do. Failing to see it is vitally related to the relationship with Christ. But Paul is teaching us that it is through our places of employment that we have daily opportunities to love and serve our neighbors by doing excellent work for them. And when we use those places of employment that God has given us to love and serve our neighbors in whatever that capacity is, we can remove unnecessary obstacles to the gospel. 
This is why Paul and his co-workers were so intent to make themselves a model for the Thessalonians to follow because it was the gospel that was at issue. It was the gospel that was at stake. It was the gospel that Paul was concerned about. And that's what we're concerned about for the preservation of the peace of the church is so that the gospel has no unnecessary obstacles. So that, listen to what he says in chapter 3. He says, we want the word of the Lord, the gospel, to spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. That's his great concern. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy to us and thank you that uh, you give us the wisdom of Paul here. Help us to heed his command and help us to uh, listen and follow and submit to the divine commands that you give us to preserve your church so that the gospel can spread rapidly and be glorified and come into people's lives and change them. For your name's sake, we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called The Peace of the Church from the series called The Glorious Second Coming of Jesus Christ. More from the series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.